Hello and welcome to the Mountain Conversations podcast, the show that celebrates the beautiful planet we call home. Each episode, alongside an expert who is passionate about their subject, we will take you on a journey to get you excited about the topic. This is a show about hope and positivity, and it's my hope that by learning something new each episode about the work of amazing people who dedicate their lives to making a difference, you will be inspired to take action and get involved in the efforts to preserve our beautiful home, planet Earth. I'm Charlie, and this is Mountain Conversations. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we are changing the tone slightly and discussing a somewhat sensitive topic that's been in the news recently. My guest today is a vet, an author, a podcast host, a conservationist and a self-confessed nature geek. It is of course the wonderful Sean McCormack. Hi Sean, thanks for joining me. Hi Charlie, thanks for having me on. It's great to join another podcast nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I would like to ask you if it's possible to introduce the topic we're going to be talking about today. Sure thing, yeah. So um, I'm a a nature kind of um, fan, I suppose, all my life and became a vet uh, because I was interested in animals and and biology, really. Um, And one of the things I've ended up, I guess, campaigning on and talking about quite a lot is some of the the less enjoyable aspects of being a vet, especially around kind of dog health, dog breeding, some of the pedigree health problems that we've kind of bred into our dogs. The big one being flat face breeds, the really extreme breeds that have a condition called brachycephaly or basically extreme flat flattened skulls, flat faces, causes them a lot of welfare problems. Um, obviously lots of other pedigree dog health problems as well. It's a real um, kind of passionate subject of mine but as you say it is quite sensitive so um, I think a lot of people just don't realize the problems that these dogs face and it's something that I really like to try and educate on without finger wagging and blaming and, and things like that and trying to be solutions focused so yeah really happy to talk about that tonight. Brilliant well it's uh, it's something that I'm quite quite passionate about as well so I'm quite looking forward to this conversation. Um, can we just rewind slightly though like I do with all of my guests and you, you say you're a self-confessed nature geek but what does that mean to you and sort of what did, what was it that first inspired your your passion and made you pursue your career? And... Yeah um, well really really rewind the clock to a time where I can't even remember um, there was something in me my mother tells tells me there was something in me all, all along from the time I was a very small child and I was just fascinated with anything outdoors and in nature I was you know looking in the grass and I was picking up bugs and I was um, apparently turning over stones and logs that were you know twice my size and it had superhuman strength if it meant there was a woodlouse or a centipede underneath that I could see so uh, there was always something there it does kind of run in the family I think my dad was into nature and the natural world when he was a youngster um he kind of lost interest um in that and he's come back to it now and my grandparents were very much kind of country folk in Ireland growing up and um, I always loved visiting them and being out in their garden and growing food with them and doing things so I was just always the kind of odd one out in my family of five siblings fascinated with nature totally obsessed with it and uh I guess every adult in my life kind of said how do you know so much about nature and animals and what are you going to be when you grow up And at that point, you know, very small child, I thought, well, I want to do something with animals. The only jobs I know in that are being a zookeeper or being a vet. And I said that. And virtually every time I think an adult heard that I might want to be a vet or a zookeeper, they said, oh, it's very hard to become a vet. (laughs) And I think that just ingrained in me this like 
<laughs> dogged determination that I was going to be a vet and I would show those adults uh, that that's what I was going to do. So I did long, long story, long route round. I did animal science first and then did veterinary as a graduate. Um, but yeah, here I am. I've been qualified now for uh, 12 years this year, which is mad. Wow. Well, I think it's amazing. It's one of those career paths that I would have loved to followed. But once again, people do say, oh, it's very hard. Oh, it's uh, yeah. a long time. It's very, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's not the job um, that a lot of people think it is. You know, if I say to people nowadays, you know, what do, I meet someone and they say, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a vet. Um, they often go, oh my God, that's an amazing job. Oh, I'd love to do that. And actually don't realize quite how tough a job it is and quite what the reality is. It's mm-hmm. definitely not, you know, playing with puppies and kittens all day, every day. Yeah. It's quite a stressful and emotional job. And it's um, uh, quite, quite a high rate of, you know, burnout and mental health problems. And believe it or not, the highest suicide rate of any profession, four times um, higher than average. So, yeah, it's, it's a great profession, but it's also um Maybe not what I had in mind when I was six years old saying, I'm going to be a vet. (laughs) No, well, that's the, I think that's the reality of a lot of careers, isn't it? You know, when you, the grass is always greener kind of thing. Um, But anyway, right. We're here to talk about these dogs. So Mm. the reason we started chatting is because of a recent um, news article that I'd seen. And then obviously I saw you posting about it across Twitter. Norway have banned the breeding of a couple of breeds of dogs. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that what what's what's going on there yeah so that's the most recent kind of high profile um, media story about this problem we're seeing with, with pedigree dog breeding and pedigree dog health and it's quite you know an alarming headline it's quite an eye-catching headline and a lot of people all over the world have been talking about it but Norway have come down hard on uh, the likes of their kennel club their breed societies um, and dog breeders in general and said enough is enough you've had plenty of time to improve things for these dog breeds and we feel that um, you've gone too far and you've not done enough in time so we're going to make it illegal to breed these dogs anymore so the two breeds that they're concerned about and that they've banned effectively are the English Bulldog and the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. The English Bulldog is probably the breed of dog with the most inherited or or genetic um, disease problems um, it's predisposed to a huge variety of, of diseases and um, welfare issues because of how extreme it looks and because of how extremely we've bred it over just the course of the last 100, 150 years. It's unrecognisable from the dog it used to be because we've exaggerated all of the features that make it a British Bulldog. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the specific problems in a bit. And then the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel is, again, it's riddled with um, health problems, mainly to do with heart disease. It's almost inevitable that Cavaliers will end up having heart failure because the valves in their heart end up giving way, giving out and, and creating a kind of a leaky heart system. And then they also suffer with a very debilitating and extremely painful uh, neurological condition called syringomyelia, which basically is compression of the brain due to the shape of the skull. So really serious, um, high profile welfare problems in those breeds. And Norway, um, the Norwegian kind of SPCA equivalent, brought uh, the Kennel Club, the Breed Societies and um, six breeders to court and challenged them to say that, you know, the Animal Welfare Act in that country and in this country, believe it or not, says that if you produce puppies destined to suffer, then what you're doing is illegal. You're causing illegal and unnecessary suffering. Um, therefore, it's, it's, it should be illegal. And the Norwegian court sided with them and said, right, we're banning it. So really, really big, extreme news in the dog breeding world. And I would say 
you know, that's the kind of thing that could happen here in time. Do we want to ban certain breeds or do we want to actually, you know, put our skates on and really do something meaningful and radical now to to bring about change in these dogs? Because they've gone too far, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think I think it's probably I imagine it's um, it will have provoked quite a lot of an, an angry response. I know that I read that the uh, the UK Kennel Club were sort of sharing concerns about the banning of the breeds could enforce sort of well could force more irresponsible breeding and sort of more smuggling and more importing of these of these you know illegal breeds do you think that's something that is gonna rise it's definitely a concern I mean um I think the kennel club in this country has a tendency to kind of shift blame elsewhere and talk about the other problems and not accept that you know they are part of the problem as well which we can talk about but yes the the ban in Norway doesn't prevent people owning these animals so they can legally import them they can own them they just can't breed them together and I think what the ban is trying to do is it's trying it's kind of making a statement and it's also trying to encourage some outcrossing or some crossbreeding of these breeds um, you know, there's solutions out of this problem and um, a ban in this country now is probably not the answer because it will encourage unregulated breeding. It will encourage the market for these kind of dogs to go underground, to go onto social media, which we've seen now, you know, the more extreme exotic bullies and mm. extreme exaggerated forms of of bulldog type dogs are being sold already they're not recognized by the kennel club they're outside of the kennel club's jurisdiction so i do recognize that there's a massive massive problem that the kennel clubs and breed societies have no control over but um i think what the ban is doing is it's highlighting the extent of the problem where we've got to and there was a study came out on the english bulldog in the uk um in 2016 and it basically said it looked at their genetics and it said that all of the english bulldogs in the uk are derived from the equivalent of just over 30 individual dogs in terms of their wow. genetic diversity. Um, the Kennel Club and Breed Society's reaction to that was, well, yes, we know that there's a high level of inbreeding within this breed. Um, but the geneticists that did the study said the only way to improve the English Bulldog characteristics, anatomy and features and, and disease issues genetically is to bring in blood from other breeds. So start outcrossing them with the likes of American Bulldog lines, boxers, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, just to introduce new genes into the population. Mm-hmm. You can then back cross them back to, you know, being no different to any other Bulldog in appearance or slightly more moderate in appearance, but no one would know that it had ever been introduced uh, with new blood. But the puritanical and traditional breeders said, we don't want to do that because then it wouldn't be a pure Bulldog. So you've got this catch-22 situation where there's only one way out for the Bulldog's future health, and it involves crossbreeding, but the puritanical breeders are like, we're not crossbreeding because then it's, it, it uh, disturbs the dog's purity. Oh. Well, like, if you really care about dogs, that's what you have to do. The experts mm-hmm. are telling you that's what we have to do. So it's catch-22. So I can understand why Norway has just said, enough's enough. We're banning the breeding of these, these pure breeds. Crossbreed them all you like. Bring in new blood. Find new ways of breeding them but no longer allowed to breed pedigree bulldogs with pedigree bulldogs, no longer allowed to breed pedigree cavaliers with cavaliers. So 
why why has it just been those two because obviously if we're talking about health um health of particular flat-faced breeds you know you've got pugs french bulldogs there's all these other flat-faced breeds that i imagine suffer similar health conditions why is it just the english bulldog is that because they have the most health conditions or yeah i think there's a couple of things in this right so why i i'd often get asked like or accused oh you hate flat-faced breeds you hate pugs and bulldogs and frenchies and i always say i don't hate any dogs i hate what we've done to some of them or i hate how far we've we've gone in in breeding them to exaggerate their features to the point they're suffering and i think the fundamental thing that i forgot for a good long while in talking to people about this um, and i think a lot of people kind of ask that question well what's the distinction between you know these breeds having health problems um related to the shape of their skull versus you know Labradors having predisposition to hip dysplasia or elbow problems. The, the, the big difference here, which is the reason why there's so much focus, is we are actively selecting for appearance that causes harm. In Labradors that have hip dysplasia or in, you know, and any other breed that's predisposed to an, an eye condition or whatever, we're not breeding them for that feature that gives them that disease that disease is just inherent in them and it's a risk factor and we're trying to breed them, you know, healthier so they won't suffer from those diseases. But the very thing we're breeding these animals for, a flat face that, believe it or not, resembles a a human infant. It's got a, what's called the baby schema. It's got large eyes. It's got a little button nose. It's got an almost human smile. It's got a big domed forehead. it's, It's features that elicit this nurturing or caring response in us. It's been shown you know, that that is a subconscious psychological response when we see this kind of um, appearance. We're basically breeding them to look like babies. We find it cute. And the very thing that we find cute is the very thing that causes them difficulty breathing and compresses their skull into too small a space, causes all these problems. So that's why the focus is on the extreme brachycephalic dogs, because they're almost, there's two things going on. They suffer the most extreme issues, like producing a dog that can't breathe properly, that's a pretty low bar in terms of welfare when you know they're going to suffer from breathing problems. Um, and secondly, we are breeding for appearance that causes suffering, unlike some of the other pedigree health problems where it's just inherent in the breed and we're trying our best to get it out because we don't want it. This is we want it. We know it causes an issue, but we're burying our heads in the sand about that. There's a disconnect. This is um yeah, this is what sort of really, really gets me. It's the deliberately breeding something that you know is going to suffer and it's not even like it's a sort of a, a hidden disability if you like I mean obviously I live in Snowdonia and obviously do a lot of hiking I don't have a dog myself but there's dogs everywhere and the amount of times I've been up even Snowdon you know the biggest mountain in Wales and I've I've heard I've heard a French bulldog or I've heard before you've seen a it and I've turned around and sure enough there's a pug puffing away its owner sort of you know walking in front of it as it's as the poor thing is puffing away and it I just think you can hear that that's that's not cute it's not you know it's not an endearing sound or anything you can hear that 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 animal's struggling um Mm. and that just completely baffles me so can we talk a little bit about about this um these flat face breeds what are the we've mentioned the breathing problems but what are Mm. why are they so why do they suffer so much 
Yeah, sure. Of course we can. Um, just to go back to your other point on like why weren't pugs included in this, Norway just chose to bring the case against kind of two of the most extreme ones. Mm-hmm. The Netherlands brought a case um, about pugs and they've effectively banned the breeding of pugs because they said that um, they have breeding legislation called Qualzucht or torture breeding legislation. They say very similar to a recent update in our own Animal Welfare Act, if you breed puppies or any animals offspring that you know is destined to suffer because of features you've made you know kind of bred them for um, you're liable to prosecution on cruelty grounds and they brought in a um, legislation that said that pugs now have to have a um, ratio the length of their muzzle has to be a certain ratio in in, um, relation to their head effectively banning the breeding of all of the pug gene pool because none of the pugs meet that ratio so there's ways to ways to enforce it that encourage better breeding but yeah why does an extreme flat face breed um, develop problems so I think first things first what is a a flat face breed so brachycephalism or brachycephalic um, dogs are dogs that have a very wide and a very short face. And so again, it kind of like becoming more humanized in appearance, um, which we find desirable. Um, Dolichocephalic is the opposite. That's really long faced dogs. So things like your greyhounds, salukis, Afghan hounds with a very, very long muzzle. We've bred these characteristics into our domestic dogs away from their kind of wild ancestor type, wolf type um, animal, which nature designed for various reasons. Um, the reason that the, the brachycephalic head shape, and it covers quite a few breeds, it's like 26, 27 breeds, depending on which list you agree with on what are the brachycephalic breeds, because it's a scale, right? The extreme brachycephalic breeds are the ones where we've really over many generations selected aggressively for flatter and flatter and flatter faces by picking the flattest faced parents we've over a very short period of time really compressed that skull down into a very very flattened and wide shape and what happens when we do that is we don't select for less soft tissue in the dog's skull you know we don't select for a smaller tongue or less vocal folds or um, a a shorter soft palate or anything within that dog's head we've just selected for extreme skull shape and basically the breathing issues come from trying to fit in all of the associated structures of the mouth and airway and throat into a much more confined space so that's why you will have heard a Frenchie or a pug on Snowdonia before you've seen them because they're going And basically their soft palate is obstructing their trachea, their airway, their airway. Um, all the soft tissue in the back is making it really constricted. Even the trachea itself is smaller and narrower than in, in a dog of comparable size. They also, dogs are what we call obligate nasal breathers. They are designed to take in air, to inhale through the nose, for that air to go um, whirling around all these intricate little bones lined by capillary blood vessels and the air is cooled on the way in and then they pant the air out and lose um, heat from their bodies through evaporation on the tongue. Again we've deformed the skull shape to the point that a lot of these dogs have really pinched nostrils it's like you walking around with a clothes peg on your nose all day. They can't get the air in they can't pant um, very effectively to get the, the temperature down so they overheat a lot and they're also air hungry a lot. So they're pulling in air um, through their mouths and going <laughs> like that, especially with exertion or exercise. So that's just one thing. The other things that's breathing problems, it's called, it's again, a sliding scale of how severe it is. 
and it's called boas, B-O-A-S, which means brachycephalic, flat-faced, um, obstructive airway syndrome. So it means they're basically hungry for air. They're, they have blockages along the way. And there's BOAS um, grading scale. So you can have a, a very um, low BOAS score on a POG or a Frenchie that's been bred with a little bit more moderate features. You can have extremely high BOAS scores on, on the same breeds that have bred, been bred very exaggerated or extreme. Um, and the other things, apart from those breeding issues, which often need surgery to correct, are eye problems because the skull basically is so flat that the, the socket your eye is designed to sit in that protects your eyeball is much shallower. It's a little, you know, cup shape rather than a kind of a ball and socket joint. Yeah. And more of the eye is exposed. It dries out. It gets irritated. It's prone to ulceration or injury or even, believe it or not, popping out if the dog has done something strenuous. I've had to remove eyes from pugs and Frenchies where they've been playing too hard with another dog in the park and their eyes popped out. Wow. Um, spinal issues to do with the sh- kind of short squat stature of them and um, the curly tail in a pug and the corkscrew tail in a bulldog is actually a spinal deformity of the vertebrae within the tail. It can also hide spinal deformities elsewhere in the spine and cause neurological problems. A lot of them have skin issues. They're prone to allergies genetically, but they also have physical skin issues where they have these rolls and folds of skin on their flattened face. Um, and that's causing irritation because the skin and hair is rubbing on folds that are not naturally occurring and you're getting bacterial inflammation and, and infections in there and yeast. Um, skeletal problems, the bulldog, you know, the English bulldog, very top heavy dog with massive big shoulders and head and neck, um, elbows that point outwards and cause unnatural loading on the elbows, which leads to arthritis. Um, and the really bizarre thing and crazy thing about bulldogs is they can't be born naturally in a lot of cases because their heads have become too big, head and shoulders. The mum can't actually pass them through her pelvic canal. So in over 80% of English bulldogs, they need a cesarean section to be born. So we're producing puppies that can't breathe properly, mm-hmm. by and large. They can't even be born properly. They have to have veterinary surgery on the mum multiple times if she has multiple litters to get the puppies out of her. So they would die without veterinary intervention. They die out. And um, they, they sometimes can't even mate. So a lot of these, especially the really extreme ones now that are being bred elsewhere and away from kind of kennel club, but even within the kennel club, a lot of them are are, um, mated by artificial insemination because the males can't actually mount the females properly because of their shape. So we're really breeding extreme, extreme, exaggerated and sorry, but deformed versions of what these dogs used to be. Um, to the point that they wouldn't even survive without us. Only the healthier, more moderate examples would survive to pass their genes on. But like, you know, societal culture and what we want and supply and demand and the Kennel Club awarding certain things in the ring of how these dogs should look is just driving this as status quo. You talk to a pug owner, they'll say, yeah, but that breathing is normal for a pug. It's not normal for a dog, though. No, I think that's that's it, isn't it? I just... Uh, yeah no humans baffle me I mean I was reading the I know we mentioned the kennel club earlier and we I was reading up on the um the breed standards for each of the breeds mm. it, it stood out to me that in the French bulldog one of the thing one on the breed standards it says dogs showing respiratory distress are highly undesirable yeah which That's... interested me um so, highly so... undesirable mm-hmm. but we're not gonna we're not gonna disqualify you ah so, so it's the word, like the wording of the breed standards. Well, wow. the word, the word, I would argue that the wording of the breed standards is a big problem to do good. And, you know, they say, you know, 
it's not as simple as just rewriting the breed standards. And I, I take that on board. It's not as simple as rewriting the breed standard. But when the very culture and tradition of what a dog apparently is meant to look like um, is, is written into the breed standard, which is just a written document, you know, documents can be edited and changed if we learn more about what the subject matter. Um, and to be fair, the English Bulldog and the French Bulldog um, breed standards have been tweaked and changed with their wording, but wording and language matters. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the the um, Frenchie, as you say, it says respiratory distress is undesirable. But the Kennel Club haven't said any panting or stirter or strider, two different types of um, respiratory noise, immediately disqualify your dog for the show ring at Crufts. Now, if they said that, that would be a selection pressure that meant dogs that are developing boas after their show career or during their show career are not going to propagate their genes or pollute their the population with their genes um anymore because the kennel club has come down hard on no respiratory noise so really Uh, they're being quite clever there with their wording and sort of are they being clever are they being naive are they placating their membership are they trying not to rock the boat too much because they would eliminate 65% 65% of Frenchies that will make those noises running around a ring. Mm-hmm. You know, are they concerned about losing genetic diversity in the breed, which is a problem as well. If you make the selection pressure too extreme and too quick, you will lose a huge swathe of genetic diversity and you could end up with further inbreeding problems but by, you know, selecting only a very small gene pool. But this happens after shows anyway. You know, if a Crufts dog wins um, this March coming up in 2022, all of the breeders want his genes that year because he's a Crufts champion and he ends up polluting the gene pool to the point where we get to the situation of all English Bulldogs derived from just over 30 individuals in genetic terms. It's the equivalent of, I think they, they put it out as the equivalent of mating brother and sister whose parents, they themselves were highly inbred. That's the level of inbreeding now within English Bulldogs. But the wording, I think, is so important. It's like they say on the English Bulldog one that the head should be fairly large the, the, the shoulders relatively broad, relatively and fairly don't allow any kind of measure. Like the Netherlands saying the ratio of muzzle to snout length or muzzle to forehead length has yeah. to be this as a minimum. That's objective. What the Kennel Club in the UK does is lots of subjective flowery language about how dogs should look. And then the judges award what they think that is. And when the judges are awarding their interpretation of the breed standard, you get a shift towards more extreme and exaggerated breeding all the time. It happens with every breed. Um, you know, look at any breed and look at them 150 years ago and see what showing for appearance has done to them. They've all shifted in appearance to exaggerating the features written about in the breed standard. Well, it's, 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 I was again reading about pugs. Um, they were just the one I was, I was happened to be researching um, a couple of days ago and I was reading the history of the pug. And it's, it's true. If you walk around a, a stately home and art gallery, mm. and look at these sort of 16th, 17th century pictures. There is a dog that is quite clearly a pug, but they're quite leggy. Then they're mm. sort of, their muzzles are longer. And if you look at a pug today, you think it's, it's worlds apart, completely different. And it just, it just goes to show just in like you can look at two images and how different they are just again in a couple of hundred years what we've done to these breeds and it is literally as you say because it's desirable for this show world I mean my parents um this this is how I came to be so interested in this subject is my parents did used to breed dogs and they did used to show dogs my mum has no problem with me saying this because now she's she's sort of on. what kind of dogs so, <laughs> I feel so like friends. I feel I've offended now <laughs> <laughs> no 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 honestly um mainly huskies 
Um, yeah. And they showed Huskies and I saw firsthand the absolute craziness. I'm probably going to get letters now. Craziness of the dog showing world. Um, I remember they imported a, a Husky that was a, it was, he was sort of the American standard Husky and he, they brought him in and he was this champion show dog, which to me is just bizarre and always has been. Um, <laughs> but the, the letters they were getting to say, oh, your dog, you know, you, you shouldn't be bringing him into, into English shows. And Polluting you know. our genes. Pools. oh yeah because yeah. he was a different shape and a different size and was stockier than the others and it's just it just absolutely I think it's crazy well yeah I mean I'm going to get in trouble for this but I've <laughs> been to I've been to Crufts and um I walked around on the terrier day the last time I went and I love terriers I grew up with terriers they were very mixed bag terriers you know first one is very much a Heinz 57 lots of different breeding in there um and the second one, actually, um, loved border terriers. Saw the border terriers walking around, and I just thought, "How are you judging these dogs? Because they all are absolute clones of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's no physical difference. And of course, the judges and breeders, oh, there is the point of her loins and the carriage of her tail and all this stuff. I'm like, we've gone, we've gone a little crazy on this mm-hmm. because these animals aren't being bred for function anymore. A lot of them, anyway." Some of the breeds, their function is now redundant and they're just being bred for keeping this line alive and keeping this appearance of dog alive. And I think like I was writing something today and talking about, have we got, have we gone too far? Do we really need like the, this pedigree purity argument? Can we not just allow dogs to be dogs and have types of dogs rather than these closed gene pool, closed stud book lineages of dogs that we know are just getting unhealthier and unhealthier and un- unhealthier over time? I just looked around Crofts at that point and I was like, this is insane. We're just producing literal clones and judging mm-hmm. them on the tiniest little points. Yep. And we're ignoring the bigger picture of how healthy are our dogs anymore. Mm-hmm. I think even to to judge an animal and how it looks says a lot about humans in general. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it just completely, I, I always I always remember sort of with the, my parents had a boarding kennels as well. And I remember really distinct memory of these three tiny chihuahua puppies coming in and they just they look like I sound horrible but they look, they look like little aliens they had like mm. huge domed huge heads domed heads and their eyes like you say with their eyes popping out their eyes looked like they were about to pop out and it just I, I remember being I was probably about 10 and looking at these dogs thinking they don't even look like dogs anymore they're just I know it's it's just terrifying um but when we while we're talking about sort of humans and our sort of vanity and putting that on other animals, can we move on to sort of ear cropping, which is another yeah. thing that I am I'm seeing a lot more of. I imagine it's because of a celebrity influence um, mm. at the minute, but I'm seeing again when I'm walking around, I'm seeing a lot more of these sort of of the of these sort of bully breeds that in we, Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Wales, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've actually been campaigning on um, last year quite a lot. And um, a really amazing team of people um, have been kind of focused on that legal campaign to get it into um, Parliament to ban the importation of of cropped ear dogs. Um, So too many to shout out. But 
good news on that is that it has been debated and, and they are saying they're going to bring in a ban on importing um, ear cropped dogs. So for anyone listening that doesn't know what, what's an ear cropped dog, what's, what does that mean? Basically, um, dog's ears kind of have two main parts. One is the kind of stiff uh, cartilage part of the base of the skull. Um, and the other part is the floppy kind of um, part of the ear um, and the cartilage is kind of the base and the floppy part in some breeds kind of sticks up and it's quite erect and in other breeds it flops down the really exaggerate again exaggerating features some breeds you know want the people breeding them want them to have really floppy ears really long ears so your cavalier king charles your cocker spaniel your basset hound is the mm-hmm. exaggerated one where their ears touch the floor yeah but in certain breeds and this comes back again to traditionalism and what the breed was originally bred for and how it originally looked. Um, what, what people did with certain dog breeds was they chopped off the floppy part of the ear, leaving just the cartilage behind. Um, and a lot of people associate that look with breeds so strongly that they don't realise when they see a crop dog that that dog has had surgery. So the classic case in point is the Doberman yeah. uh, pincher. And so Dobermans were normally bred for being kind of guard dogs, um, aggressive kind of uh, dogs that would fend off intruders and guard property and things like that. Um, and earlier on, um, some fighting breeds as well um, had kind of Doberman um, lineage and things. But basically, they chopped off, traditionally chopped off the ears for Dobermans so that they wouldn't get injured if there was fighting or, or kind of a grappling with an intruder. Um, but also, and this is where people will deny it, let's call a spade a spade. They chopped off the ears to have these pointy, erect ears on Dobermans to make them look more sinister and threatening. Um, and in the a lot of the bully breeds um, that were used originally for fighting or baiting either other dogs or other animals, bulldog, believe it or not, they were used to bait bulls. Um, other types of dog used to go down burrows and catch you know, foxes or badgers or, or other um, animals. They chopped off the ears because the, the, the fleshy part of the ear, because it was a dangly bit that could get ripped in a fight and would bleed heavily and would be hard to heal as a wound. So there were actual welfare reasons, I suppose, to be chopping off the loose dangly parts of certain breeds ears so they wouldn't get injured. But the bigger welfare issue was why are you pitting dogs against each other for entertainment? So, you know, that really doesn't stand up now with bully owners who say, you know, oh, it's part of the tradition of the breed. Mm-hmm. So most of them have moved away. Most of the defenders of ear cropping have moved away from saying oh, it's part of the tradition. Although the U.S. Kennel Club, believe it or not, in the breed standard for Doberman and Pinscher, um, requires you to have the ears cropped to show them in the ring because they say it's the tradition and character of the breed. Bullshit. It's no longer about tradition and character. We know that we shouldn't be chopping off functional parts of a dog that are in no danger as a family pet now mm-hmm. um, just for appearance sake it's cosmetic surgery it's cosmetic mutilation for for dogs and in this country although it's allowed in in um, certain European countries and in the US and in some cases encouraged in this country it's classified as an illegal mutilation so basically cutting off functional tissue for fashion or aesthetic purposes um, and it's no longer allowed what's happened is there's a legal loophole there just like may come in in Norway now at the ban and people start importing them because they want a Doberman with that fierce look. And they want a bully breed because they've seen all the American social media sites that have extreme exaggerated American bullies, exotic bullies, um, a look that is tough, you know, uh, kind of um, status related, big stupid chains around the dog's necks, 
you know, um, hip hop kind of street gang culture symbols on the dogs. They're breeding them in these kennels and making absolutely shed loads of money off these dogs because they're breeding these extreme bullies with, you know, uh, and they're cropping all their ears. And then that that culture of dog ownership bleeds over into the UK culture of dog ownership. And people grow up seeing that and aspiring to that and seeing it in music videos and seeing it in celebrity culture and going, oh, my God, that's a sick looking dog, bro. I really want a dog like that. That's fire. And, you know, it's flames on all the Instagram posts. And it's like this weird culture around status dogs and dogs Mm -hmm. that make you look tough. And then they go, oh, I can't get one here. So I'm going to import one. But then what happens with that loophole is breeders who are breeding some of these dogs in the UK are going, it's really expensive to import them and they're, they command a high price, which drives up the demand for them because they're almost a status symbol. But they go, do you know what? My mate down the road or some dodgy vet or person posing as a vet will cut your puppy's ears off for a small fee here in this country behind closed doors without anesthesia, without pain relief, um, without any kind of um, follow up veterinary care. And then you can just say wink wink nudge nudge that you imported the dog mm-hmm. and no one will ask any questions because there's a legal loophole so what we've been trying to do in the last year is close that legal loophole and then it means that any dogs under a certain age after that law comes in with cropped ears have been done illegally because you couldn't didn't import them legally and if they were cut off in this country it's not allowed yeah. so that's what we've been working on but yeah you're right it's it's becoming really really depressingly common i went home to ireland at christmas time and i I've seen it become much more common there as well. I've seen it, I see it here in London where I, where I live and work mm. as well. So, Yeah, it's definitely becoming um, more prevalent, I'd say. Um, I mean, I, like you say about people not realising that breeds are supposed to not supposed to look that way. I remember in the 90s, obviously, when I was going to shows and stuff with my parents, Dobermans were obviously still cropped. And so the first time I saw a Doberman with these lovely floppy ears... I was I was just I was completely shocked because I never knew that they were supposed to look like that. I know so it's just, mad, isn't it? It's normalized. It's the, same, it's the same with um. This sounds really. I sound really ridiculous now, but sheep. Obviously, they dock sheep's tails, but mm. sheep's sheep sheep's um <laughs> doesn't sound right. Um, yes, they dock sheep tails, and in Wales, I've been walking around and obviously looking at sheep, and they have long tails. Yeah, I'm like what? <laughs> I know. And I mean, the Doberman as well, you know, docked tail and cropped ears was the traditional look for them. And, you know, there's no reason for a Doberman now to have a docked tail either. But, you know, some people still want that. Boxers popping up with tails, you know, in the last kind of 15, 20 years since tail docking became um, illegal, apart from if they're working dogs. So you're seeing boxers now with uh, with tails. And again, the last time I went to Crofts, that same time I saw the kind of eugenics parade of dogs all the same looking walking around together mm-hmm. um I talked to a boxer breeder and she was like mm, yeah we have to have them with tails now but I really don't like it. I preferred the look and it's like but why are you chopping off an important part of a dog's communication and body language because you prefer the look mm-hmm. it's it's ludicrous like whatever about working springer spaniels going through brush and thorny scrub and working and retrieving and pointing game and things that can be prone to tail injuries I still don't agree with it because I don't think chopping off all Springer Spaniel working um, litters tails is justified when only a few of them will ever have a tail injury it's kind of like you know preemptive treatment gone mad Um, but there is a justification there just like there is a just a welfare justification 
for putting a, a rubber ring on a lamb's tail and having the, the tail come off um, over the first week or two of life. Because if you leave the tail on and it gets soiled with a lot of fecal material, they can get fly strike and they can die an awful death out in the fields of mm-hmm. maggots, basically eating them from, from the bottom up. Um, so there's welfare reasons and justifications for that. But fashion and preferring a look on a dog that is nowhere kind of near what it used to do that might have put those body parts in jeopardy is is total BS. And now you're seeing when people are being called out on social media about why do you have a a cropped Doberman? What did you do to your dog's ears? Why did you do that? They're coming up with um, more bizarre defenses and excuses like, oh, it prevents ear infections. No, it doesn't, because if it prevented ear infections, we'd be chopping off Cocker Spaniel's ears because they're so prone to ear infections. This is this is just pure trying to get out of it and not admit that the reason you want that dog, you like the look, you think it gives you some kind of credibility or status. Um, it's very expensive. So it is naturally a status symbol because dogs are property and people do, you know, think that if I spend £10,000 on an imported Doberman, I am the shit and I can parade it around on social media. And certain, you know, celebs have cashed in, kind of cottoned on to that too and are driving that desirability of these dogs. And luckily, I think over the last two years, we've seen um, more backlash on that happening on social media. And there's kind of a turning point now where it's like, it is not cool or desirable to show that you bought a mutilated dog and brought it into this country because you thought it looked cool. It's actually becoming really, really the opposite of that, thankfully. There's been times in the past where I have been very, you know, um, kind of, on a soapbox and on a rant about this. And I realized that, you know, some of the things I'm saying may offend certain dog owners. I think to give some credit where it's due, a lot of people just don't realize the extent of these problems because it's become so normalized. It's Mm -hmm. become so popularized. And of course, if you go to a breeder and ask about one of their puppies that they've produced, they're going to be ultra defensive and say, no, no, that's normal for a French bulldog or pug or Boston Terrier, whatever you're, you you want to say, that's normal for them. No, no, the parents are very healthy. They did some survey work or some um, research on owners of, of extreme brachycephalic breeds, and it was over 60% of them that were diagnosed with clinical airway disease. Over 60% of the owners of those dogs said their dog didn't have a breathing problem. So there's the percep- perception issue here that like, no, no, it's normal. My dog's absolutely normal. He's very happy. And I don't deny that a lot of these dogs are very happy because they've been born into the bodies we've given them. Mm-hmm. They don't know any different. And some of the the um, faults or malformations or mutations or deformities, if we're going to, and I'm not saying that in a, a attacking personal um, kind of way I'm using that language very very medically yeah. this is a medical malformation a dog skull should never have ended up this shape um, a lot of those things are now being touted as desirable desirability factors um, so people will say you know oh Frenchies are great apartment pets if you live in a city or you live a busy lifestyle they don't want to do much exercise they're really happy just to chill out around the home no rewind that thought they can't do much exercise without getting really out of breath and, and panting and puffing and, um, you know, getting hungry for air. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they don't want to. It's that they're born into bodies that don't allow them to do these things. And the other thing is that these um, characteristics have become almost desirable because they're the very thing that elicits this subconscious or conscious nurturing effect. So a lot of the owners of these breeds 
really want to be very invested caregivers for their dogs. So there's a there's a kind of a um, a okay, I guess sociological sort of trend around the types of people that want these dogs, fall for these dogs, care for them really, really brilliantly. You know, I I, I do say I love pug and Frenchie and English bulldog personalities. They're yeah. wonderful little dogs. Yeah. And again, I'll reiterate what I said at the start. I don't hate any dogs. I hate what we've done to many of them. Um, it's not personal. It's not about you as an owner if you decided to buy one where I'm talking out about their welfare. I'm talking about the bigger picture here. And I think we all need to step back as dog owners, as apparently a nation of dog lovers, and ultimately in future as dog consumers and say, do I want to be part of this problem or do I want to be the solution to the problem? And if you are so invested in having an extreme bracky breed because it's been your breed of choice, you've had several, you've fallen in love with them, you can't imagine yourself having any other, other breed, there's a few things you can do. Step back and say, I'm not going to buy another one until there's reform, until the kennel club and the breed societies and the breeders who are calling themselves responsible actually radically change what they're doing and select for more moderate examples of the breed and make changes to the breed standard and say, we have gone a bit too far. We need to do do more to, to save these breeds. Or you could consider rescuing one because a lot of them end up in rescue because mm-hmm. people don't understand or didn't realize just how much they were going to cost in medical bills, you know, because of how they are. Um, or consider buying a crossbreed of one or buying a less um, extreme version. So English bulldog people took it on themselves to say, right, we, we don't want to do what the Kennel Club wants us to do anymore. So we're going to take it on ourselves to outcross. And they produced lovely lines of English bulldog type dogs called Victorian bulldogs and old time bulldogs mm-hmm. and the old English bulldog with two G's and an E on the end to go back <laughs> to that time where they looked completely different and they were more functional. And um, so there's things you can do. And I think educating and talking to people about it, not in an accusatory way, but saying, look, really, like there's lots of dogs with the same personality and same appeal and same like tick list of what you're looking for in a dog that don't struggle to breed every day of their life because of how we like them to look why not reconsider this and I think the popularity of these dogs needs to go down and advertisers need to stop using them in advertising and this normalization of extreme deformity needs to stop mm-hmm. and we're all part of that we, we all have a say and we all have a voice in, in that if we're really truly dog lovers you know absolutely but uh, yeah I said again I think there's a lot of defensive breeders isn't there it's it's normal it's normal for a pug but as you say what it's not normal for a dog yeah and I think I kind of touched on it at the start you know um I recognize that the kennel club and crufts and things like that are only only I'm not going to say small parts of the problem they are a big part of the problem Mm -hmm. but I recognize that in the last 10 or 15 years the rise of social media and unregulated breeding outside of their remit and things is a massive massive problem and yes that needs to be tackled but the kennel club has a very uh, good tactic in just basically defecting blame and saying we've got health schemes we're doing lots for dog breeding and we can't control what they're doing over there this is a big problem of all the irresponsible breeders who aren't uh, interested in the health of the dogs that's true but also own up to your responsibility so i would challenge the kennel club and crufts to say you know, we are part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And we do impact and influence the entire culture around dogs and dog breeding and what dogs should look like. We are the ones historically let, mm-hmm. who have 
caused this shift towards exaggeration and, and um, abnormal anatomy. So let's be part of the solution to kind of bring that back over the next 150 years. I don't like this tendency to go, it's not us, it's them. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'd highlight if we just take the bulldog and the cavalier that Norway have just banned. If the Kennel Club don't want a legal challenge and a ban on those breeds in here in the UK, then they need to change some things. So Cavalier King Charles, invariably, one of them will come into my clinic and I will see this lovely new Cavalier puppy with their new family, their first dog. And do you know what the thought is that jumps into my head? That dog's going to die of heart failure in eight to 10 years and you're going to be gutted, you know. And that's what's ruined dogs for me as a vet because I'm seeing these problems day in, day out, talking to people. And I just feel that it's not going in. People aren't engaging with it before they choose these breeds. Yeah. They're not asking the powers that be to change the way they do things. So ultimately change isn't happening. So how can we how can we strive for that change? Obviously, it needs to come from higher up. I know the Kennel Club, I, I, I read a figure the other day, it was something like the Kennel Club have invested nearly 200,000 in sort of groundbreaking research into flat face breeds and stuff and how we can combat the breathing problems and stuff. But I think it's all just a, a bit of a, a surface, isn't it? It's just a, a glossing over and it's how it feels anyway. But so yeah. obviously it needs to come from them. But what can what can we be doing? Obviously, you know, we can research and. Um, don't buy a Cavalier King Charles until the Kennel Club from an from the Kennel Club's accredited breeder scheme until the Kennel Club makes testing for heart disease part of their accredited breeding scheme. It's mm -hmm. ludicrous to me. The Kennel Club know that virtually all Cavaliers die of either syringomyelia or heart disease. Yeah. But they don't have a, a compulsory heart scheme or they don't have a they have advice on breeding for healthier hearts, but they don't have a, any kind of accredited um, heart scheme or heart health scheme. So like do more in, in terms of the English Bulldog rewriting the breed standard. They did it a while ago and they did improve it. But um, I hate to bang on about breed standards because it is just a small part of the picture. But if the definition of what uh, X breed is mm -hmm. written by a person or people within the kennel club and breed societies has vague language that allows this breeding towards extreme to continue, then change the language to be more objective and tell people what they actually need to do mm -hmm. and radicalize the, the, the judging criteria and say, we won't accept stertorous or striderous respiratory noises in the show ring anymore. We can't have a nose that sits level with the eyeballs in the pug or behind a massive fold of skin. Like some of the judges judging at the likes of Crufts are going on what they like rather than sticking to the breed standards as such. So there's a bit of potluck involved. I think the whole thing um, needs radical change because we're getting to the point now where it is crisis point and we can't just bury our heads in the sand. And as public, we have the power. We're buying dogs. Yeah. Um, I don't think, unfortunately, Charlie, I don't think anyone buying extreme or exotic bullies that they've been um, ogling on American culture Instagram kind of trends for the last 10 years is going to listen to this podcast and go do you know what I don't want one of those dogs anymore but there needs to be a wider cultural shift and a bigger discussion around take a step back from this individual dog owner dog blaming shaming and say look how far we've gone with dogs and dog breeding it needs radical change you know as an individual what can you do write to your MP write to the kennel club Right to the Kennel Club, if you were going to buy a French Bulldog and you've decided not to because 
they're not healthy enough and there needs to be change. Mm -hmm. You know, tell the breeder that, you know, you've gone to see a litter of puppies. I'm not buying your pup because I've seen mum and her nostrils are too narrow. And she was panting pretty heavily and she's got some pretty serious breeding sounds. Yeah, that breeder might fly off the handle and go, get out of my house or you don't know anything about dogs. Da, da, da. But until, you know, the, the, the consumer is telling the supplier, your product isn't good enough for me anymore and I'm not accepting it, then things won't change. It, it literally is a consumer and supplier issue. And I think it's fantastical and maybe a little bit um, optimistic to think that's going to happen. But we're dog lovers. If you're going to obtain a dog, you have to do it responsibly. And it's no longer enough to say, oh, they're on the accredited kennel club scheme. Because actually mm -hmm. that just tells you how related your dog is to the rest of its ancestors. And often that's very related. Mm -hmm. Get a rescue dog, get a crossbreed. Dogs are dogs, allow them to be dogs. Let's get away from this idea of purity and pedigree and type. Um, and say, I, I'm getting a, a dog shaped dog that has characteristics of these three breeds and it's going to live a long, healthy life. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I am I am all for rescue dogs. I mean, I, I look, you know, occasionally have a look on these on these pet. Me too. <laughs> just to just to have a look. And the prices, you know, obviously it's a supply and demand thing, but the prices are just shooting up and up and up. And for these crossbreeds, you can be paying thousands. And I just think it's just again, it just shows how far we've come as humans for our own vanity, our own greed, how much we're mm. willing to exploit other animals for our own gain. And it just completely baffles and upsets me. Yeah. When I say crossbreeds now, I'm not ta I'm talking about mixed breeds, really. I'm not talking about your designer crossbreeds like your cockapoos and your um, labradoodles and mm -hmm. all kinds of cavachons and multi-cavapoos and all these things that basically come with a, a fancy name and a high price tag because they're the next big thing. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. That can have equal or just as many um, health problems as the two original parent breeds because mm -hmm. you're still breeding pedigree dog with pedigree dog for one generation. Um, I'm talking about really allowing dogs to be dogs again and getting away from this idea that I want a brand of dog. Yeah. You want a type of dog that suits your lifestyle. There's plenty out there, you know, already. And with the pandemic, yeah, we did see a huge supply issue because everyone decided it was the time to get a dog. Yeah. Three million more dogs in the UK in the last two years. Um, British wow. households. So like I that, that has created a big monster in terms of um, people cashing in and breeding totally willy nilly without doing any health testing or without any concern to whether these are good dogs to breed together. So the Kennel Club has a point. I'm not their, you know, massive critic banging the drum and saying it's all their fault, but they are, you know, a big part of the culture around dog breeding and dog showing. And they're definitely part of the culture around appearance over function. Um, and that really causes big problems. Well, you say there's been sort of a rise of three million dogs in the UK. That's terrifying because I, I know, was it in, I think a couple of years ago, the RSPCA said they took over 10,000 dogs in. I think it's like 10 and a half thousand in one year or something. And that's going oh, yeah. to rescue centres and that's just the RSPCA, you know think how many there's going to be in rescue centers now now everyone's sort of coming out of it and they're sort of thinking oh I'm going back to work now I can't walk this dog twice a day yeah. you know what a rescue center is going to look like what do they look like <laughs> we are seeing that swing uh back and um we're seeing it in in brachycephalic dogs maybe a few years ago as well when the trend was really on the up um mm. frenchies and pugs now are kind of like um stabilizing or coming down um and we're seeing the rise of other breeds like miniature dachshunds on a steep upward trajectory again 
exaggerated appearance dog that we go oh my god so cute he looks like a a sausage sausage exactly but one in three of them is destined to have spinal surgery because of this disease Mm -hmm. because we've bred the spine so long that you know gravity and weight over time pulls that down and causes compression of the discs in the spine so again let's get away from these extreme brands of dogs that we think are really really cute but have health problems associated with that very feature we think cute Mm -hmm. like it's the fundamental thing is we're causing these dogs to suffer yeah but we're excusing it because oh it's normal for them and they look really cute it's not okay anymore we have to go we don't I don't want to see a ban on lovely you know pugs and frenchies and english bulldogs that are the sweetest little dogs they're great little characters but we've put them in a body that like makes them miserable miserable and you can say my dog's really happy you know i I know people i've got four pugs and they're all very healthy and happy and they run around just fine but think what kind of dogs they would be if they had a muzzle and open nostrils and weren't suffocating on their soft palate all the time or their eyes were like deeper set in their heads and not constantly irritated you know or looking in different directions <laughs> like yeah. your dog may seem happy but they could be a lot happier or their their future generations could be a lot happier if we step in and start doing stuff now to bring them back from the the the, the kind of status we've got them in at, um, at this point absolutely and i think i know what you said about you know these these people that look at the extreme exotic bully breeds with their cropped ears and you know they're not going to listen to this and think oh do you know what yeah no actually I agree I but what I would hope is that you know even just if a couple of people listen to it and sort of uh, feel educated about these um these flat 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 faced breeds yeah sort of understand the problems and yes they look cute yes they're gorgeous little dogs pugs are amazing absolutely love pugs and their personalities but you know the truth that's going on behind closed doors if you like as in you know behind their faces and their skulls is just terrifying and I can't I can only imagine how the dogs feel sort of day to day so I I I hope that even just one person will take this away and that's how we that's how we make change isn't it just by educating and talking slowly but surely and I would say as well you know if if you kind of realizing listening to this wow I didn't realize there was so many problems there or you you knew anyway like one of the things I'd urge people to do is talk about it you know if your sister-in-law or your cousin or you know the guy down the pub is talking about getting a dog and he starts to bring up these breeds. Oh, I've always wanted a British bulldog. Say, do you realize how many genetic health problems British bulldogs have? Do you realize that over 80% of them have to be born by C-section? Their mothers are being cut open to give you a puppy. Like that's a welfare issue. Why wouldn't you go for something a little bit more moderate, like a, an old time bulldog or one that's been bred a little less extreme to have all these health problems do you realize how much it's going to cost you potentially in medical bills and then sorry who gets it in the neck vets oh vets are ripping us off they're so expensive it's like you bought a a, sorry you bought a dog with a defective design for five thousand pounds and now you're saying you can't afford surgery to open its airway that's not the vet's fault Mm -hmm. we're advocating for the animal and saying your dog has boas grade three and he needs surgery to resect some of his soft palate and open up his nostrils so that he can breathe a little easier for the rest of his life for the next 12 years. I'm not saying that to make money. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that to allow your dog a better quality of life. And I didn't buy that dog with that design for 5,000 pounds. You did. 
And I get, I really do have a lot of sympathy for people because they didn't realise what they were getting into. They're put in a really difficult financial place for the rest of the dog's life or at that point where it's starting to struggle. And they didn't sign up for the emotional turmoil of this, having this dog that is suffering for whatever reason because of how it's been bred. I really feel for those people. But like the inner voice in me is screaming, what the, how have we got to this point where people are making the same mistake over and over again and propping up breeders that are producing dogs destined to fail? Mm-hmm. It's just so frustrating. And that's why there's a huge amount of burnout and mental health problems and compassion fatigue and even suicide within the veterinary profession because vets are naturally caring people and empathetic people and want to help. But kind of the profession is added to its end because it's like being constantly served up every 10 minutes. Yeah. another health problem that could have been prevented and you're like I'm just part of the problem here mm-hmm. I'm, I've done a cesarean section on a Saturday night and that breeder is going to walk out with seven healthy puppies sell them for three or four grand or five grand each and do it again next year and I'll be the mug that has to cut them out again next year of this dog mm-hmm. so I'm part of the problem I'm not being part of the solution so it's a real moral dilemma there for vets of being part of this but obviously as an animal lover if you know that there's a dog sort of suffering in labour, can't you have birth, to treat that dog? Do? Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to refuse treatment to that dog, no. even at times where, you know, the, the, the breeder says, I don't have the money for a cesarean section in the middle of the night. Well, you bred a bulldog and, mm-hmm. you know, you had to plan for a cesarean being part of the cost of breeding a bulldog because it's almost inevitable. And you're going to make a crap ton of money on the puppies. So. I'm not going to do this for free and facilitate your enterprise there. Sorry. But then you're in a tough situation. You can't go, well, we have to put put her to sleep on welfare grounds or do the cesarean section. So often vets are doing it for free. <laughs> they don't want to put a dog to sleep when she's in labour and in, in most need, you know? Yeah. Well, I could talk to you about this for ages. I'm sure say, we've we, gone we've for run a long over time. time. But I think Sorry for having... being such a ranter. No, no, no. Honestly, I could continue ranting for another hour. Um, but I think we, we will leave it there. I think the main takeaways are for people to do their research, look into the where you're getting your dogs from and who the breeders are and how they're fun- functioning, you know, as a as a business, I suppose, which is I yeah, mm. terrifying. Be and the just, parents meet the parents if you're going to buy from breeders see the parents but i would say ultimately reconsider buying one of these extreme breeds with loads of health issues and tell the kennel club and tell breeders and talk to people around you of why you made that choice if we if we step away from it for a while and say it's not good enough these dogs are going to suffer i don't want one anymore yeah people need to hear that message and it leads to become less trendy to buy this these dogs absolutely well Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been thanks for the invite. It's been really eye-opening, and I hope, as we say, you know, even if even if one or two people go away and have a conversation about this, then I feel like we've done we've done our job. So thank you Great. so much for joining me. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, Charlie. This was a conversation that I was really keen to have with Sean and of course with Crufts being held this past weekend there have been more and more of these brachycephalic breeds in the media spotlight and of course if they're in the media spotlight then the demand will increase. I wanted to release this episode in the hope that those listening will learn something and as we said during the conversation talk to the people around you. There is a problem here, it's a huge problem. 
We're breeding these animals into a guaranteed life of suffering and it needs to stop. Until the demand for these breeds with these particular features lessens, the problem will continue to rise. So please, if you've listened to this episode, share it and talk about what you've learned from Sean today. As we said, this isn't an attack on dog owners. Sean and I are absolute dog lovers and we had this conversation purely with the intention of raising awareness of the issues faced by these breeds. The next episode will see us exploring a bird that is shrouded in legend and mystery, so stay tuned for that. As always, I want to finish with a quote, and this time it's one from the John Grogan novel, Marley and Me. I have strong memories of reading this book in an airport with tears pouring from my eyes as I was reminded just how wonderful the human connection with dogs is. A person can learn a lot from a dog, even a loopy one like ours. Marley taught me about living each day with unbridled exuberance and joy, about seizing the moment and following your heart. He taught me to appreciate the simple things, a walk in the woods, a fresh snowfall, a nap in the shaft of winter sunlight. I'm Charlie, and this has been Mounting Conversations.